This week we are looking at verse number 10 of Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 10. As we work week by week through the Lord's Prayer as it opens our lives, again, this is not a liturgy, this is not a ritual prayer, this is not a prayer that we pray and we say, you know what, I have to pray these words exactly this way or they will never come true. This is a modeling prayer. This is Jesus teaching us how to pray. And so this week we've come to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These two things are the same. We're going to start off at the very beginning and say that these two things are the same, kingdom and will. And as we're looking at the kingdom of God, we're looking at the will of God and we can't separate the two things. The kingdom of God and the will of God have to exist together. And so if we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have to know exactly what we're praying. I think it's a good practice to understand the words. I think it's a good practice to understand what we are talking about here. And so... The kingdom of God is actually the central idea in the teaching of Jesus. Everything that he came to proclaim was to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is a really important word for what we're looking at and a really important word for Jesus and his teaching. Um, Unfortunately for us, he doesn't give us like a bullet point of this is what the kingdom of God is. If you look at this, it's going to be this. And here's A and B and C and D. Instead, Jesus talks to us in parables about what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is like a great wedding feast where the people that you think should be invited aren't actually going to be invited. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that has a, a, it starts very small but then can contain multitudes. Or the kingdom of God is like the treasure in a heaven who wouldn't, or treasure in a field, who wouldn't want to give up everything that they own to buy that field? Or the kingdom of God is like a net cast really wide that brings in all kinds of different fish that might be good fish and bad fish that will eventually need to be separate. And so this is, if this is such a central teaching to Jesus, if this is such a, a big idea, the main point of why Jesus has come to proclaim the kingdom of God... Why does he have to speak in these riddles? Why does he have to speak in such a way that sort of confuses us? Well, it's all an unveiling. It's all an idea that the kingdom of God is going to start to look in this way. The kingdom of God, the time that God has promised us here, as Jesus proclaims in Mark. Mark 1.15, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near the very beginning, the first thing Jesus teaches. Mark says he goes around the hillside, he goes around the villages, teaching and proclaiming the good news to people. And then the thing he says is, the, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. So the good news to Jesus was the same as the kingdom of God is here. And Luke 17, 21, he says, the kingdom of God is already among you. Again, this is an interesting way to talk about the kingdom of God. So when Jesus is there praying with his disciples, as he's teaching his disciples to pray, 
If he's already said the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is among you, then the question we have before us is, why pray kingdom come? Why does Jesus need to say, God, will your kingdom come? God, may your kingdom come if the kingdom is already here. We practice a belief called already, but not yet. And so the way that I can sort of modernize this idea is um, in this country, when we vote for politicians, like say for a president, what happens is if that president wins the election, he becomes the president-elect. He is president, or her. They are president, but not yet. They have not assumed the role because they have not been inaugurated. So when we think of the kingdom of God, it's more like a president who has been elected, but has not yet been inaugurated. We call this the inaugurated eschatology, if you want to get super nerdy about it. The kingdom is here. It's already here, but it has not yet been inaugurated. It has not yet been made fully realized and understood. God is king, but his realm is heaven. So that's an important distinction that we need to make. God is not ruling on the earth yet. And so what it means to look like for the kingdom of God to come to heaven is to say, God, come rule on earth now. You are king in heaven as it is in heaven, but you are not king on earth yet. There is a distinction between God's identity as king over creation and the expression of his kingship within creation. Now, this is a subtle point, but it's a big point because Jesus is praying that God's kingship be made manifest in creation, within creation. Okay, so what's that mean? How is God made known in creation? How is God seen? How is he expressed in creation? Well, we go very back to the beginning. We go to Genesis 1, where God in his creation creates humans, and they are the perfect image bearers for God. And so the idea, what God had originally intended for us, the way that it was supposed to be was we are the image bearers. We were supposed to express the kingdom within creation. We ruled for God in his creation. God rules the heavens. He sits as king over his creation. And we rule as his perfect image bearers on the earth. And heaven and earth come together and there is no distinction between them. That's what it means to have heaven and earth together. But we messed up. And as part of the fall, we rejected our role as image bearers. We said, God, we don't want to bear your image. We want to bear our image. We don't want to listen to you. We don't want to serve you. We want to serve ourselves and we want to serve the world. And so who rules the earth? <laughs> it's not us. This is Satan's world. This is the devil's playground. 
And so there is a realm that is fighting us. There's a world fighting against what we call home, what we call heaven. There are two things happening here. There is the kingdom of the world. There is the kingdom of darkness and evil that is ruled by the prince of darkness. And then there is a kingdom of heaven. There's a kingdom of God that is ruled by our savior, our king, our father. And so when we continue to reject the kingdom of God, when we continue to say, God, not, not your will, but my will, then we've rejected the kingdom of God and we've said the kingdom of Satan can continue to rule. The earth can continue to destroy itself. Because God's realm is heaven, not earth. This is not the way it was supposed to be. There is a future where God is both sovereign king and his kingship is made obvious. And this is how heaven and earth come together. Now, the word kingdom, it's where we get the word for basilica. You might hear the word basilica. It's a a church. um, And that's sort of their, their, uh, each region has a basilica or a church in the Catholic uh, tradition. Basilica is just a cathedral that doesn't have a bishop that sits at it. Um, So cathedral and basilica are both um, very similar words. But in Jesus's time, the word kingdom was a very political word. In fact, if father was the most controversial word of the prayer, kingdom was the most political of the words. Because this was not a word that was used in religious circles at all. This was a word that Jesus brought into it and said, the kingdom of God is here. And when people heard that, they were like, oh, no. No, you can't use that word to describe God. Kingdom is an earthly thing. Kingdom is what we're living in now. Um, Kingdom is a first century, and it was manifested in, in the first century by the Roman Empire, a brutal, oppressive dictatorship that at some point taxed people at a rate of, get this, 90%. You could not escape the Roman Empire. This was kingdom. And then for a young Jewish fella to show up and start to say, oh, by the way, this is not kingdom. What you see here, this is not kingdom. And there is another kingdom that's coming and will we'll take us all away from this. And so the Romans started to hear this. Herod Antipas was very jealous. He was the son of Herod the Great. And he started to say, you know what? We don't want another kingdom here. You know, people in power want to protect their power. And so Herod Antipas said, you know what? Anyone that's found preaching a different kingdom, anyone who's talking about the heresy, by the way, another political word, anyone who's talking about a different kingdom, they're going to be considered traitors. They're going to be considered enemies of the state and we will kill them. But see, kingdom has three major pieces to it. In order to be a kingdom, you have to have a king. You have to have someone that's going to rule. And if you have a king, then you need some sort of land. You need a place to rule over. And then once you have that, you need loyal subjects. You need people who are faithful followers. You need people who will do everything that you command of them, whether they willingly do it or not. 
And so here on earth, we have our earthly kingdoms. And in the first century, obviously, the Roman Empire was this kingdom that had a king, that had land, that had people who didn't always willingly follow. And so we have all of the elements of the kingdom, but in the heavens, God rules as king. And there is a place to rule over the entire creation, universe, Everything that God has made comes under his command. And yet in the heavens there were subjects. The angels obeyed him and listened to everything that he did. They were his messengers and they carried out his will and everything at every moment. And so when all of those things are threatened, we go to war. When our lands are threatened, when our leaders are threatened, when us as followers are threatened, when that way of life changes, we go to war. There is battle. People in power want to keep power. They want to keep the land. They want to keep their popularity. And so when the Jews see Jesus come onto the scene, they're expecting war. They're saying, okay, if there's another kingdom coming, there will be war. We are ready to fight. We'll grab swords. This is a kingdom. There's only 12 of us. But if you say that there's enough other things going on, a supernatural power happening, then let's make it happen now. Why should we wait around? God, your kingdom come. Will your kingdom come? May your kingdom come. And the way the Jews read the scriptures made them believe that this is what the new kingdom was supposed to look like. Everything that they had known. Let us be the oppressors now. Let us be the taxers. Let us be the people that take charge and control. Because we don't want to live this way anymore. And Jesus said, no, mm -mm. I'm sorry. Everyone has gotten this wrong. This is not what kingdom looks like. So what good is a king if his subjects aren't loyal to him? What good is Jesus as a ruler? What good is Jesus as a king if we won't follow? If people won't follow the things that he wants, the things that he says, the things that he says, we need this to happen. And so may your kingdom come is not a passive prayer. This is not a prayer that we pray passively to say, well, you know what? When you're ready, bring your kingdom here. When you're good and ready, when you've decided it's time, then your kingdom can come here. No, this is not the way we're treating this. The way that this is written in Greek, it's actually better to reverse the words and say, come kingdom of God. It's a plea. It's a desire. It's an imperative saying, this is our demands of you, God. Come, bring your kingdom here now. Let's make this thing happen. This also isn't a rescue prayer. And, and this, this boggles my mind that people think, well, yeah, the kingdom's not here now, uh, but we'll just get ready and we'll wait for Jesus when he comes back. We'll just be prepared and then we'll wait and then Jesus will fix all of this. Oh, there's so much brokenness in the world. There's so much injustice. Jesus, please come back now and fix all this injustice. Come kingdom and destroy evil. This is not a rescue plan. You do it. I don't want to do it. God, your kingdom come here. I I don't want to do it. I want Jesus to take care of it for me. 
This is a prayer for activity. This is a prayer to become active in the kingdom. This is a prayer saying, Jesus, bring your kingdom to me. May your kingdom live through me. May I manifest your kingdom here on earth the way that it was supposed to be. The way that it is in heaven, let it be that way on earth as well. The kingdom comes first in the hearts of his followers. That's how the kingdom comes. The kingdom doesn't come with this great trumpet. The kingdom doesn't come with horses. The kingdom doesn't, we don't wait for the end of the world for the kingdom to come. The kingdom has come here. It is at hand. It is in your midst because Jesus brought it and he showed us how to live. The kingdom is about the presence of God on the earth. And we can do that. And this is what the prayer says. Jesus, God, King, Father of us, let the kingdom live in me first. Change the world, but start with me. Because I want your kingdom to be obvious. I want it to be seen. I want us to live in a world that's no longer broken and evil. Change the world, but start with me. And so if kingdom is the presence of God, then will becomes the purpose of God. Now we have to talk about this next part. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because a lot of times what we um, confuse in this prayer is that on earth as it is in heaven describes both of those things. Your kingdom come, your will be done, comma, on earth as it is in heaven. The problem with that, I think, is it's a bad reading. I think it's two separate ideas. Your kingdom come is the idea, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the second one. Because Jesus is saying something very specific about how God's kingdom works in heaven. He's saying something very specific about how his will works in heaven. His work is done instantaneously. His followers hear him and they do it and they follow his commands and they obey. They listen. They do those things. And so when we say will is purpose, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, let your will be here. Let us obey the things that you say. Let us listen to you and carry out your purpose for the world. Because the kingdom is not yet fully integrated, because the kingdom is not yet fully manifest, there will always be a frustration of the will. There will always be a purpose of God, and there will be a purpose of my life. And we will think about the two things, and they will fight until the day you are gone. What is my will? What is God's will? We might understand will more like the readiness to follow commands, your kingdom come, God, let it be cha change the world, but start with me. And also, God, help me to be ready to listen to you. Help me to listen to your command. Help me to do what it is that you've called me to do. Now, the problem with praying about will, the problem with your will be done, is we as Westerners, kind of dopey people, 
we have started to think about God's will in a different way. And we've prayed this prayer as in, God, I want you, I want to do your will in my life. So help me see what your will is so that I can do that with my life. And we pray, God, what is your purpose here? Um, I want to go to this school or this school, or I want to take this job or this job. God, what's your will for my life in this? What's your purpose for me? What have you set a path for me on? And when we think in this terms, we think in a very individualistic setting for that. We pray, what is your will, your will for my life? As if it makes a difference which job we take or what school we go to. Because God is always there. His presence is there no matter where we go. And we can live out his purpose whether we're a mechanic or we're a teacher or we uh, drive an Uber. Anything that we do is filled with God's purpose. Jesus isn't modeling a prayer of what is your will for my life? Which direction do you want me to take that serves you? The prayer is my life for your will. You see how we've reversed it? What is your will for my life? That's what we used to pray. That's how we're used to pray, praying this prayer. We say, what's your will for my life? What should I do with my life to make it more useful to you? But Jesus is saying, do not pray that way. The prayer that he is introducing us to is, God, let my life be used for your will. Let my life be used for your purpose. What that purpose is, we know. Proclaim God. Give him glory in everything that you do whether you're a mechanic or you're a cook or you're a teacher, whatever that might look like. My life, my vocation, my job, my family is for your will. And so when we pray this, it's not a a passive prayer of God, just show me the path, open my eyes so that I know which direction that I might go. The prayer is God Use me for your will. God, I am standing here in front of you on my knees begging you. My desire for my life is only your purpose. God doesn't have a purpose for his people. He has people for his purpose. And we can put anything into that people slot. God doesn't have a purpose for his churches He has a church for his purpose. And we can even put the word mission in there. We can put the word will in there. This is not about us. This is not about God unveiling in front of our eyes the ways in which we should go because they are so mysterious. This is about us tuning into the mission of God. This is about us saying, God, your purpose is my life. And when we ask God for his will to be done, that means our will is overturned. Where we find kingdom of heaven, kingdom in heaven is when what God desires and what I desire are the same thing. 
You see how I can have my own desires and God can have his own desires. But when they match, when I am heartbroken for the things that God is heartbroken for. When I am crying out for the things God is crying out for. All of a sudden, heaven has come to earth because I desire what God desires. As God's will is done, heaven comes to earth. I'm the one that has to change. My will must be changed to match God's will. God's will won't change. So when the two of those things are out of whack, it leads to tension. It leads to a life devoid of fulfillment. You're always going to be wanting more. If your will wins, if your purpose in life wins over everything else, you're always going to be devoid of fulfillment. If it breaks God's heart, what makes you think it's going to fulfill yours? If injustice in this world breaks God's heart, what makes you think that you can overcome it? What makes you think that you can turn the other way? This is so important. This is so powerful. This is why this prayer was a revolution to the people who were standing in in front of Jesus. Because Jesus said kingdom is going to come in a way that you do not expect. The kingdom of God is not an army. It's a field with a treasure. And when you see it, you're going to want to give up everything to be a part of it. And so when you pray, pray to God, your king and your father and say, let your kingdom dwell within me so that I can be a presence of you in this earth. And when I pray, make it so that your will is done, God, not my will. That my life is used for your will. The thing about God is that he loves us so much that he's never going to rob us of our human will. He's never going to cross the picket line and go against something that we desire. And so God says, if you desire that, if you desire that thing that's going to break you, if you desire this way, if you desire to eat that forbidden fruit, if you desire that money, if you desire that job or you desire that thing, I'm going to give it to you. You can have it. But it's going to break your heart. It's not going to fulfill you like I can fulfill you. And God will never cross over that line to say, you know what? I don't think you really want that. I think you want this and I'm going to do this instead for you. Because he loves us. And he wants us to come to him as children. He wants us to follow him and obey him. Praying your will be done means giving up control of your life. It's a scary thing to do. Be done your will, God. Be done your purpose on this earth. That means I'm going to give up control of my life. Whatever happens, happens. I don't have to be happy about it. I'm allowed to be sad and angry at the things. But when I say, God, your will be done, I don't have control over that anymore. When you pray your will be done, it means trusting God to do whatever he thinks is best. Not what I think is best. And so sometimes those things aren't going to look the same. 
When you pray, your will be done, it means we may face suffering and pain in this world. Jesus doesn't say, give up your will for God's will so that you'll always be happy. No. He said, I promise you, if you follow me, there will be pain. I promise you that if you follow me, there will be suffering. That's a dirty trick, really. Because he hits us with the good news and then all of a sudden he's like, "Mm, it's not going to be all that easy. But that's not part of the good news, is it? Oh wait, yes it is. The good news is that God redeems those bad parts of our lives. The, The good news is that this is not the end. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And so God comes into our story and says, you know what? There is going to be pain and suffering, but that's fine. Because this is all going to be over. You don't live in this world anymore. You live in my world. Praying your will be done means praying against the status quo. It means praying against what you see in front of you. That God, I don't want this to be the way it is anymore. There is evil. The world is destroying itself But let me be part of the solution. Let me be a part of that. It's a prayer that leads to change and action. It's a prayer that if you see injustice, if you see hurt, if you see the places that you can help people and you passively pray, Jesus, bring your kingdom here to fix this and then walk away, you have missed the point of the prayer. God, your kingdom come Let it live in me so that I may be a presence of your kingdom. Let me be the image bearer to the people of this world. And God, let your purpose dwell among the people. It's through humble prayer and fierce action, God's will is done on earth. And as God's will is done, heaven comes to earth.